Every year at this time, a strange phenomenon takes place in our country and in many other places around the world. The strange phenomenon is this. People who have had no interest in Jesus and no time for Jesus all of a sudden seem to show interest in him. They sing songs such as, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Or silent night, holy night. Or hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. They sing songs about the Savior. They attend church services like this one. People who have had no interest in Jesus and no time for Him seem all of a sudden to enjoy thinking about Him and hearing about Him. For years, this phenomenon confused me until I realized why or how this can occur. People who have no interest in Jesus throughout the year are comfortable hearing about Him and singing about Him at Christmas because all they think about is a baby in a manger. Who is, who is afraid of a baby in a manger? Who is intimidated by a baby in a manger? Who is put off or, or threatened by a baby in a manger? Only a madman like King Herod would be threatened by a baby in a manger. Almost everyone loves babies. Most people are attracted to or drawn to babies. Most people are comfortable with babies, especially if they don't have to hold them and change their diapers, if that's something that's a little bit uncomfortable. So it's no wonder that most people in our society are comfortable hearing about Jesus and singing about Jesus at Christmas time, even if they have no interest in Him, no time for Him the rest of the year. The babe in a manger is offensive to virtually no one. The baby, the baby in a manger is easy to like. Children are easy to like unless they are rude and rebellious, which Jesus certainly was not. So people like Jesus as a baby. People like Jesus as, as an infant, as a child. Even during the first century, people liked Jesus as a child. Luke 2.52 says that as Jesus was growing up, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So people liked Jesus as a baby. They liked him as a child. But when Jesus grew up to be a man, many people did not like him, frankly, because of what he said, because of what he taught, because of what he stood for, and because of what he claimed. In fact, the people of his own hometown, Nazareth, didn't even like him. His neighbors ended up not liking him. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about from the Gospel of Luke tonight. If you happen to have brought a Bible with you, you can turn. If you didn't, you may want to grab one out of the hymn book holders. Or if there aren't enough to go around, you can just listen closely. But I just want to share a few thoughts from the Gospel of Luke in our Christmas Eve service tonight. Along the lines of, or along this theme of how people related to Jesus, not as a baby, but after he grew up to be a man. We know from reading through the Gospel of Luke and studying it that Dr. Luke directed his Gospel account toward 
non-Jewish readers. That, is, that would be the majority of us here in this room. Luke, Dr. Luke directed his gospel toward non-Jewish people. For example, he explains Jewish customs in his gospel so that his Gentile readers will understand them. He explains the geography of the land of Israel so his Gentile readers will understand the land. He translates terms that the Jews would have used into Greek words so his Gentile readers would be able to understand them. Luke's gospel is definitely directed toward non-Jewish people. Matthew, on the other hand, wrote to the Jewish people to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the prophesied King. Mark wrote his gospel to the Romans to show that Jesus is the obedient servant. But Luke, Dr. Luke wrote to the Greeks to show that Jesus is the perfect human being. Luke stresses the humanity of our Lord more than any of the other gospel writers. He gives the most complete account of Christ's ancestry, birth, and development. He demonstrates that Jesus alone fulfills the Greek ideal of human perfection. That is the emphasis of Luke's gospel. He is the only gospel writer to tell or to record the annunciations of Zacharias and Mary, the songs of Elizabeth and Mary, the birth and childhood of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the visit of the shepherds, the circumcision of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus in the temple as a baby, the details of Christ's childhood, and the inner thoughts of Mary. All of those events are unique to the Gospel of Luke, and all of those details bring a unique flavor to Luke's Gospel. He presents our Lord as the Son of Man who has come to seek and save that which was lost. That statement from our Lord is recorded in Luke 19.10, and it is probably the key verse of this Gospel, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In chapters 1 and 2 of this gospel, Luke places a strong emphasis on the ancestry, birth, and early years of the perfect man and his forerunner, John the Baptist. Their infancy stories are intertwined as Luke records their birth announcements, their births, and temple presentations. The announcement of the birth of John the Baptist is in chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. John the Baptist's role is defined in chapter 1, verse 17, where we read, He will go before him, that is, John will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what the angel told Zacharias that his son would do. He would prepare the way for Messiah Jesus. Six months later, another announcement was made. We read of it earlier when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would be the one who would give birth to the Christ child. Three months later, John the Baptist was born. Chapter 1, verse 57 tells us that. Verse 57 says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. He was named John, called John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Six months after that, there was another birth. It's recorded in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, which we also read a moment ago. When Joseph went up from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem and took Mary with him. And while she was there, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know the story well. The shepherds came to visit baby Jesus. That's recorded in verses 8 through 20 of Luke 2. Eight days after his birth, Jesus was circumcised according to the law of God given through Moses. Thirty-three days later, Jesus was brought by his parents to the temple to be presented to the Lord. Luke chapter 2 verse 25 tells us, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that the Holy, uh, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother were marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. An obvious reference to the crucifixion of Jesus, which Mary would witness. A sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So Luke gives a lot of attention, attention to these early events connected with the birth of Jesus and the, the early childhood of Jesus. Now, everyone likes Jesus at this point. Everyone, with the exception, of course, as I said earlier, of Herod. Because Herod wasn't the rightful king. He was threatened by the news of a king being born. But what is there not to like about a baby? What is there not to like about a little one unless the child is a brat, which Jesus was not? So everyone besides Herod is comfortable with Jesus at this stage. In fact, Dr. Luke tells us in verse 40 of this chapter, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That fact comes out in the way Jesus taught the temple teachers when he was only 12 years old. You probably know the story. Jesus' parents brought him to Jerusalem, probably for his bar mitzvah. And while they were there, uh, there, there was often a great multitude that would travel together. They traveled there and they traveled back. The parents assumed Jesus was in the multitude heading back. And as they got down the road, they realized Jesus was nowhere around. So they go back to Jerusalem and they search for him. And it says, uh, Dr. Luke tells us that they, they, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. 
Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And that's the last thing we know about his childhood. That's it. Even though Luke gives the most complete account of Christ's ancestry, birth, and development, it's really a very brief record when compared to what we are told about his adulthood. The rest of his preparation time for ministry is summed up very briefly by Dr. Luke in chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. The last two verses of the chapter say, Then Jesus went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. From that point, there are, there are almost 20 silent years. Silence about Jesus' childhood. We know what he did at age 12. We don't know anything else other than he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. In fact, as you move into chapter 3, you jump ahead almost 20 years. Jesus set the stage for his public ministry by baptism. We read in chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am very pleased or well pleased. That was the way Jesus inaugurated his public ministry. After his baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And if you know the story, you know that he emerged from that ordeal unstained, proven to be the perfect man. So he began his public ministry. And that brings us to chapter 4, one of the most amazing stories in all the gospel accounts. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes back home. He goes back to where he grew up. He goes back to his neighbors, the ones who had seen him as a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, all the way up through age 30. And in chapter 4, we read, Then Jesus returned, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So at this point, it looks like Jesus is going to continue being liked by everyone just as he was as a baby and as a child. But all that is about to change. It's all about to change dramatically. When Jesus went to the synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth and he preached a very pointed message, the people of his hometown, his neighbors, became furious. We read in verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This was nothing new. This was nothing unusual. Nazareth was the hometown of Jesus. So these people knew him. At least they thought they knew him. They knew him as a baby. They knew him as a child. They liked him. They were comfortable with him. I'm sure that he didn't give the, t the townspeople any problems, no trouble. 
You know, he wouldn't throw rocks through their windows and run off or that type of thing. They were comfortable with him. Just like many people today who are comfortable with Jesus when they hear about him and sing about him at Christmas. But when these people heard what Jesus had to say, when they heard what he claimed, they became furious. In verse 17, it says he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This passage that Jesus read is a quote from Isaiah chapter 61. The passage predicted the coming of the Messiah. Jesus proceeds to go from this passage after reading it to state He is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. Verse 20, he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That was the custom of that day. In our day, a lot of people stand up behind a lectern to teach. In that day, they would sit down to teach. So when he sat down, everyone knew he was about to teach. He was about to say something. So the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. What is he going to say about this passage? This great messianic passage. What is this this, this hometown boy going to say, verse 21, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? In other words, the people were, were stunned. How can this man make such a claim? This is Joseph's son. You see, they thought they knew him. They knew him as a baby. They knew him as a child, but but they didn't really know him. They didn't know him. And in the verses that follow, Jesus goes on to say that because they were going to refuse to believe in him, because they were going to refuse him, divine grace would be withheld from them and instead extended to the Gentiles. That infuriated them. Down in verse 28, it says, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Can you imagine this? This is their... You know, this is a hometown boy. And they say, let's murder him. Let's throw him off the cliff. Kill him. That's how furious they were. Jesus was not going to be killed on this occasion. It was impossible for them to kill him before his time. Because even though he was the perfect man, he is also the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he had control over the timing of his own death. He wasn't going to die until he had completed his ministry. In spite of all the opposition against him, in spite of the mounting hatred, his death would not come until he willed it to come. But that doesn't change the fact that many, many people did not like Jesus. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Many, many people did not like Jesus. 
They did not like to hear what he had to say as a man. The response was often anger. This is the response of many people in our society when they hear Jesus saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When people hear Jesus claim to be the only way to God and the only way of salvation, especially in our day and age, many are furious. What do you mean by such a narrow claim, Jesus? Or if they don't think of Jesus saying it, but they just think of Christians saying it, they they will let out their anger toward Christians. Who do you Christians think you are to be so narrow? To make such a narrow claim that Jesus is the only way? Do you mean to say that Muslims are lost and damned? Yes. Do you mean to say that Buddhists are lost and damned? Yes. Do you mean to say that Hindus are lost and damned? Yes. Do you mean that animists are lost and damned? Yes. Do you mean spiritists are lost and damned? Yes. Do you mean New Age religionists are lost and damned? Yes, that's what Jesus was saying. Do you mean to say that salvation is only attainable through Jesus and through Him alone? Yes. You mean good works can't save you and make you right with God? Being a good person? Nice? Absolutely not. Do you mean salvation is not in the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or the Baptist Church or Grace Bible Church or any church? That is correct. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is the kind of message from Jesus which results in the same kind of response We see right here in Luke chapter 4. Many people think they like Jesus. Many people in our society think they like Jesus. And they are comfortable with a baby Jesus in a manger. But when they hear the message that Jesus proclaims in the pages of Scripture, the fact of the matter is they don't like him. And they don't want him. And it would not be an exaggeration to say, not only do they not like him, many hate him. They hate such a narrow message that's not tolerant, that's exclusive. So let me bring it home personally. How about you this evening? Do you really know Jesus or do you just think you know Jesus? Have you submitted to him and embraced him as he really is? Or are you only comfortable with a baby in a manger? I tell you with all the compassion of my soul that if you are only interested in Jesus at Christmas time, and if you are only comfortable with a baby Jesus, then you are lost and headed for eternal destruction. That is not a popular message today. Certainly not politically correct. Just like the message Jesus gave on this occasion in Luke 4 wasn't popular. But it was true. You need to see Jesus as he really is this Christmas. Not just as a baby in a manger. You need to submit to and surrender to Jesus as he really is. The King, the Lord. You need to see that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. That is why Jesus came. He did not come to stay a baby. He came to die on the cross for sin. 
but he rose from the dead to demonstrate that he is king and he is Lord. Here's the question. Is he your king and your Lord? Or is he to you simply a baby in a manger? There is an eternal difference between the two. Please hear that. There is an eternal difference between the two. And your eternal destiny rests on your relationship to Jesus the Lord, not Jesus the baby. Would you please bow your head with me this evening as we begin to wind down our service? And as you bow your head and close your eyes, please listen closely. If you are here tonight and you have never surrendered your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do so now. Right where you are seated, in the quietness of your heart, which Jesus sees and knows, you can surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can receive him as your own personal Lord and Savior. You can say from your heart, in your heart, Lord, I know I am a sinner and I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive my sin. Take my life. I give you myself today. I urge you to do that now. Don't try to keep Jesus in the manger. He's not a baby in the manger. That's the way he came. But we can't keep him there. You can't keep him there. He grew to be a man with an uncompromising message. He grew to be the one who claimed, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's who Jesus is. That's how he must be embraced. That's how he must be received. And so, Father, I pray as we close this message that you would make certain by your Spirit that everyone hearing these words understands that we cannot keep Jesus as a baby. It's what our society wants to do because people are comfortable with a baby. People like Jesus as a baby. They just don't like him as a man. They don't like what he stood for, what he taught, what he claimed. So at this Christmas season, as we are gathered here on this Christmas Eve, may you enable us to have an accurate view, an accurate picture of the Lord Jesus. No longer as a babe in a manger, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who lays claim to our lives, the one who calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Father, I pray for each and every person gathered here tonight that, they, that none would go through another Christmas just stiff-arming Jesus, pushing him backwards, as it were, into the, into the manger to keep him there in an attempt to refuse to see him as he really is and hear what he really had to say. May your Holy Spirit be pleased to do his work in our hearts, in our lives. This is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.